Is it recording? Am I on? Is it on? Is it recording? Open up to a first Samuel. What page are we on? First Samuel chapter 20. What do we got? 243? Is that what I said? 243. I hope this was my coffee. It was sitting on the back. Anyone want some string cheese? Can I give it away? Oh, sorry. That was my bad. Sorry, I'm not giving you the egg. If we can just set it down. Are you open to 1 Samuel chapter 20? I don't think so. I know some of you are. Oh, you had your finger to it. Sneaky people. Hey, the stickers got taken off somehow. Doesn't say Abby is awesome anymore. It's okay. You guys ready for this? This Bible is very wet and it'll it will survive. Let's pray. How about hey, what happened to you? You guys need to stop injuring yourself. There's too many of you guys that are injured. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for this place and that we get a chance to be here once again. Uh, thank you for the gift that it is and for your word. And I pray, God, that you would use tonight for your glory. Holy Spirit, that you would speak and move in this room in huge and mighty ways. And we just give you this time. Um, may you use it as you wish. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to get right into it tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. What's, hap- what's happening? Like, what happened last week? Somebody almost died. Who was that? And how many times? Like, once? A lot of times. Okay? So Saul, Saul is trying to kill David. But what, where we ended last week was seeing how much that Saul's plans for David to die are against what God has, and how much David, oh, good. how much David being saved from all these attempts is is God's plan, and God has this hedge of protection around David because He is going to use David for big things. Right? Okay. So, chapter twenty, verse one. Are we good? I feel like there's still like. Okay. I can hear all of it. Supersonic ears. Then, then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, who's Jonathan? Saul's son, David's BF, right? Best friend. What have I done? Best friend. What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. 
Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. So in some ways, this is, sounds very similar to a conversation that David and Jonathan had last week, in the last chapter even, okay? So for them, it wasn't last week, it was less time, but for us, it was a week ago. Last chapter. So remember last time, Jonathan was like, let me talk to him. Let me talk to him. Let me talk some sense into him. Let me try and convince him that, yeah, you have done nothing wrong and to not kill you. And at that time, it seemed that he got through to him right? It seemed that Jonathan was able to convince Saul. Saul even said, this is, these were his words, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So he's almost like vowing, like, yep, I'm not going to kill him. But <laughs> what happens very soon after is that war happens again, remember? And, jo- and David gets sent off to war and succeeds greatly, and Saul's jealousy rages again, And somehow, Jonathan wasn't a part of the whole, hey, let's go chase him down at his house part. So Jonathan didn't hear about Saul sending men to David's house to catch him. Remember then David's wife put the, like, the hay bale and the goat's hair and stuff in the bed to try and cover up to make it look like David was there, but David escaped. Remember that? Is this all remember? It's, It's there, right? You're there. Okay, so... Jonathan must not have been a part of that because he still thinks that somehow that David has favor in the eyes of Saul. And David is like, no, really. (laughs) He just tried to chase me. And then he sent all these groups of messengers, but God protected me over and over and over again. Believe me, your dad wants to kill me. Basically, that's what he's saying. And an interesting thing happens. Because of this covenant friendship that David and Jonathan have with one another, David explains a little more to him, and Jonathan believes him without much coercion. He's like, okay. He even makes the crazy statement of, whatever you say, I will do. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, hey, can you do me a favor? And you're like, yep, sure. What do you need me to do? And you've already said yes to something that you have no idea what they're about to ask you. Unless you know the person very well, a good thing to say is, uh, what is the favor before you agree to doing it? But just life lesson. But David trusted, Jonathan trusted David, knew that David wouldn't ask him to do anything that wasn't against what God wanted or what needed to happen. David could have been like, I need you to kill your father. He could have said that, right? That could have been what he said. And Jonathan had to be ready for that. But he doesn't say that. This is what he says. Um, oh wait, we're not to that part. But I want to talk a little bit more about their friendship because back in chapter 18, why David is, um, David and Jonathan have this kind of friendship is because we see that Jonathan made a covenant with David. Now a covenant is a promise before God and it's the strongest kind of promise. A covenant, we see it between God and his people when he talks about, I'm going to hold up my end of the promise no matter How much you guys mess up, I'm going to continue to be your God, and I'm going to continue to hold up to my promise. We see that covenant within marriage. It's, I am promising this to you, and I'm going to hold up my end of the deal, and it's not dependent necessarily on the other person, even though both people are saying we're both going to hold up our end of the deal. It's a very powerful thing. And this covenant is a covenant of friendship. What do you guys think of the word, when you hear the word friend? Okay, I want you to just think in your brain, what do you think of? So some of you think of a certain friend, like a name came to your mind. Some of you maybe think of um, an attribute 
that, that you, would, you look for in a friend. Maybe um, some of you think of a TV show that has to do with friends. But friend has become a pretty loose and flexible word in our culture. Friend can mean a lot of things. I have 1,059 friends on Facebook, right? And does that mean that like I have that many friends? No, that just means I've run into a lot of people who happen to have a Facebook. I have friends, I have fa friends on Facebook who I did a project with 10 years ago in college and I look at their picture now and I'm like, who is this person? But we're friends, you know? Or I come and I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, I'm friends with that person. Oh wait, we're f I mean, we're Facebook friends. Like we use this term so much, so much more loosely and also like I hear, I hear of friends in high school and in college and even in junior high of just doing nasty things to each other, talking behind each other's back. I'm friends with you one day, but now I don't really want to be your friend, so I'm going to be friends with you this day. And there are, and I want to say, there are times when friends, when, when it is time to not be friends with someone anymore, okay? And there's times for that to break. But in, in the true sense of friendship, it's a lot deeper than while we use the term friend today. We use it in a much more loose term. We were built as people for more than that, though. We were built to be in deeper relationships with people. We were designed for deeper friendships. I was looking at a few websites, and I think we all crave that, too. Like, we crave those kind of friendships, and we get frustrated because we can't find them, right? I was, so I was looking at a website that talked about some of the characteristics of this covenant friendship between David and Jonathan, and I'm gonna want, I, want, I found a few different people's take on it, and I liked a lot of them, and so I'm going to list them off to you. So I, wanna, I want you to listen to these of what a covenant friendship looks like. And I want to stop to say, not all friendships you have are going to be covenant friendships, and not all friendships that we have are going to be these deep relationships, okay? There's, we have all different kinds of friendships in our lives. We have friendships that are maybe, I, we play basketball, that's my friend, you know? And then we have friendships maybe like this. Closer than a brother, for some of you, you're like, yeah, that's not hard. I'm not very close to my brother. Um, make sacrifices for one another. Selfless stands up for you, fights alongside you, someone you can trust with anything, walks in love and forgives you, and you forgive them, nurtures a spiritual bond, meaning that <laughs> there is Christ involved in your friendship, and they are going to help you grow in your relationship with Christ, and I'm going to help you grow in, in yours. Always offers encouragement, protects you, Harbors no jealousy. That's a really big one, to not be jealous of each other. And I firmly believe that this kind of friendship is not possible without Christ being the center of your friendship, which means if that person doesn't have a relationship with Christ, that this kind of friendship isn't going to be possible. I'm not saying you should not be friends with people who don't know Jesus because that's, that's not what I'm saying. We should have friends who don't know Jesus, okay? But this kind of friendship is going to come between two people who know Christ, because if someone doesn't know Christ and have the Holy Spirit in them, to be selfless, to forgive, to not harbor jealousy, those things are 
pretty much impossible with our human nature, without the Holy Spirit in us. So these things are going to come. Forgiveness, this spiritual bond, is going to come through a relationship with Christ. Someone who is committed to you as a friend, but ultimately looking to God and is going to point you to him. You can't, and again, I, wa- I also want to say, you guys can't control the way someone else is a friend to you, right? You can only be in charge of yourself. Sometimes we're like, well, I was selfless, but they weren't, so we're not friends anymore, okay? You're, a covenant friendship is, I'm going to hold up my side of the covenant no matter what, okay? And there's boundaries, and there's all these things we could get into. But I want you guys to see just the importance of having And what David and Jonathan had was having God-focused, Christ-centered commitment in their friendship. And it's a super cool thing, and we're going to keep looking into it. That was David and Jonathan. Verse 5, David said to Jonathan, so remember Jonathan just said, whatever you say, I'll do for you. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, if if I did anything wrong, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan, Jonathan said, far be it from you, which means don't even think about it. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into the field. So they both went into the field. Now, David always seems to have some sort of a plan. We don't usually get to hear David's words necessarily up to this point. We've seen him acting and reacting. We've seen him fighting. We've seen him dodging Saul's spears. But now we get to hear his plan. So the plan is that there's this new moon festival, which happens once a month for three days. Every month they had this like festival for three days. I'm like, that sounds sweet. First, second, third of the month, let's just, that's not always when the new moon is. But you know, you get it like, let's just break everything and have a party for three days, right? So that would have been cool. But that's what they, that's what they would have. And it wouldn't have been this huge gathering necessarily. Um, I mean, everyone would have celebrated. But when, when it comes to the king, it would have been the king and just like some of his closest people, which would have had included David and Jonathan. Okay, meaning that if someone's missing, you noticed. It wasn't like this huge group of people and you're like, oh, I didn't even see you there or, you know, type thing. Also, remember, Saul is trying to kill David. So obviously he's going to have his eyes out for him. So David says, this is going to happen and I'm not going to show up. Okay, and if Saul asks where I am, tell him that you gave me permission to go to Bethlehem, which is where his family was from, right? to go there and be a part of this sacrificing. this And I don't even know all that went on there, but it was something they did once a year, okay? So it kind of trumped the monthly <laughs> festival for the thing that only happened once a year. So any king would have said, of course, go to that, because for this time, it's good that he's there. But if he's, ang- if he's, 
if he's angry that I'm not there, you'll know that he wants to kill me. And so they have this plan set, but still trying to figure out how Jonathan will get the message to David about what the answer is. So this is where Jonathan's part of the plan comes in. But before that, Jonathan renews this covenant, makes this covenant again between David and with God, a renewed promise. And I loved one definition of a covenant I was looking at today when it talked about this promise. It then said, it turns ordinary into something very special. It's a very special promise between these guys and God. And Jonathan said to David, verse 12, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more. Also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him that he loved him as he loved his own soul. And so Jonathan is making this commitment now to David and before God that this is what I'm going to do. And God, may you, may you bless this, and may you remember my family line. So Jonathan, because <laughs> usually once David would become king, the line, the lineage of the rejected king, like their whole family would just be done away with. It's not like they just join and they're like, okay, new king. Like they are, they're all out. And so he's like, remember me, remember my family. Jonathan is committed. And here's the plan, verse 18. Then Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter is in hand and remain beside the stone heap, big pile of rocks, (laughs) and I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy saying, go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them, then you are to come. For as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So there is a series of decisions that are being made, okay? At any point in this, Jonathan could change his mind, right? Jonathan could say, this isn't worth it. <laughs> this isn't worth it. This isn't, I'm, I'm going to be deceiving my dad. Um, I'm going to lose the kingdom. All these things. He has all these decisions. And even if, because now they have this plan of code words and, hey, if, if he's going to kill you, I'll tell you to, like, go beyond. Or if he's going to not kill you, to come. Like, I'm going to make it safe. No matter what Saul says, Jonathan could really deceive David in the end to do the opposite right? He could. If Saul wants to kill him, he could say, it's safe, come, and, and turn on him, right? And so these series of decisions are made throughout. 
And every single decision that is made, Jonathan doesn't even flinch because he's so focused not on what he wants, but on what God wants. And he's made this commitment. Think about the decisions that you guys make in your life, okay? In a day, you make like 200, and I don't even know, there's a ton of them, okay? How often do you take God into those considerations or your decisions? I'm not necessarily saying when you stand in front of your closet in the morning <laughs> to decide what shirt you're going to wear, you ask God to show you, maybe you should. <laughs> God, what, what should I wear today? What do you want me to wear today? Maybe some of us should be asking that question. But, I'm just saying, but <laughs> who should I sit with at lunch? Who do you want me to talk to today? What are, who can I be friends with today? Is there someone who needs to be encouraged today? What does today look like? Should I be a part of um, football or should I not? Should I try out for soccer or should I not? Should I be in a part of this? How should I spend my time? Do any of these thoughts come through our brains throughout the day? Or do we just go and we're like, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do? Just checking. So, just a thought. So after they came to the festival, so after the festival, come to this spot, he tells David, right? And he's going to tell him whether or not it's clear or he needs to leave. And he says, the Lord is between you and me forever. How cool is that? That, that forever means eternity, which means your friendships that you have with other people who know Jesus are forever. That's going to last forever. You guys, I know we can't really always think of like what forever looks like, but those are the friendships that are going to last for eternity, which is so cool, and none of you seem as excited about it as I do. Yeah, exactly. I can only imagine at the moment as they're talking through this plan, all the emotions that are going on in their head, like realizing that if my dad wants to kill you, I may never see you again, Right? But I'm going to just, like, I might be fighting back tears, but I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to talk about that part because this is what God wants, and we're just going to keep going ahead. And as tears might be welling up in his eyes, he's like, okay, we'll just talk later. Okay, good talk. You know, walks away. I just feel the emotion in him already. So here's what happens at the festival, verse 24. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. (laughs) <laughs> which is good, to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him, he is not clean. Surely he is not clean. So you had to be like ritually clean in order to be a part of this. And we're not going to get into all those things, but just there was a reason why he thought David couldn't be there. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. So day two, David still doesn't show up. Not a surprise to us, right? And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother's brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me go away and see my brothers. So that's basically what he said that David said to him. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Get ready for it. 
Then, my microphone might be needed to turn out a little bit. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall, he shall surely die. <laughs> then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger, and he ate no food the second day of the month and was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. So now Jonathan is convinced. <laughs> because so convinced that Saul even throws a spear at him, his own son. Now either Saul doesn't have very good aim, because how many times now has he thrown and he's missed? I think it more has to do with the fact that God was <laughs> protecting the people he's throwing spears at, but it's funny to think about. Saul uses some harsh words towards his son, right? He is angry at Jonathan. He calls him son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Basically, he's not making a mom joke, okay? He's not <laughs> saying anything about Jonathan's mom. He's saying that Jonathan is someone who is abandoning, abandoning his allegiance to his own, he has forsaken the allegiance where his, properly, or where his allegiance should properly be. It's not to the people that his family, it's not to the people that he should be in allegiance to. It's with David, who we all already know that Saul hates. Jonathan should be fighting for the throne as much as Saul is, right? David Firth, who is a guy who's read 1 Samuel and studied it way more than anyone I know, he actually wrote a book about it. He says, Saul is not prepared to lose kingship and dynasty. So his rage is directed at Jonathan because Jonathan is prepared to lose those things. Jonathan is prepared to lose his kingship. Jonathan is prepared to lose his family's dynasty. Remember what we said last week because Jonathan should be the one who's mad. Jonathan should be the jealous one. David's taking his kingship, right? He's the one who should be next in king. But he's prepared to lose it all for the sake of God's plan. He's prepared to step aside from his hopes and dreams and what his family would have for God's plan. And that's what makes Jonathan well known. If he wanted to kill David as much as Saul... We maybe it would have heard his name once, but he would have just been part of the crowd. Jonathan is known because he chose the path of decreasing himself, of setting aside what the world thinks in order to increase David in order for God's plan to succeed. His commitment to God had priority even over becoming king. What are your guys' when you think about like, your aspirations, your dreams, the things that you want, the things you want most, the things you set out for. And your dreams might not be, when I'm 30, I want this. It might be, next year, I want to make varsity. Or next year, I want to do this. Or next week, you know, it might not be way out there. It could be a little bit more immediate. But what is it for you? Being the king of Israel is a pretty big thing. 
right? I know we don't have kings here, but let me tell you, <laughs> it's a big thing. Israel was a strong nation. And so being the king at, for Jonathan would have been a huge thing. From a little boy, he grew up knowing that, knowing, knowing <laughs> that he was going to be the next king. Until he got to be about seven or eight, and he heard about this guy David that was going to take over as king instead of him. But for God's plan, he was willing to go against his father. He was willing to put his life on the line and give, give up the entire kingship for God's plan. Because here's the thing. He knew. He knew that if it wasn't God's plan for him to be king, even if he did become king, it would not be good. It would not be good. Because what God has set is the best life that we can live. And Jonathan knows that. He knows that David being king is going to be the best scenario. And if he ended up being king because it wasn't God's plan, it's not going to be good. Do you guys ever think about that? The things that we want. If I told you that the person that you want to, okay, maybe in high school. Who are some high schoolers? The person that you really want to date, okay? Or the person you really want to be with, okay? What if you wanted to be with them so bad, but I told you, that is not who God has for you. And who God has for you is the very best person that you could possibly be with. But who you really want to be with is not who God has for you. And if you end up pursuing that person and being with that person, it's not going to be a good life for you. But if you wait, even though that right now, that's the person you have in mind, if that's not who God has for you, you don't want to be with that person. Believe me. <laughs> you guys, we see what I'm saying? I know I just use relationships as an example. But in general, even if it's something we want so desperately, if that's not what God has, it's not going to be good. And we're going to end up frustrated. And it, what God has for us is the best. And Jonathan knows that. And so he's willing to give it up for the sake of God's plan. Verse 34. And Jonathan rose. Oh, I already said that part. Jonathan's angry, okay? Verse 35, in the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy who's going to go get the arrows. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow and Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and he fell on his face to the ground, bowed three times. And they kissed one another and they wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose, and he departed Jonathan, and went into the city. Whew, I almost started crying. We see this emotional goodbye between David and Jonathan, and a few things you know, sometimes we get wrapped in the fact that they kissed each other. That was part of their culture, okay? That would have been part of a hello and part of a goodbye. And so we don't need to get caught up in that. 
And I love this goodbye for a few reasons because it showed the strength of the bond that they had. That even though they hated saying goodbye, they knew that this is what God had forever. And their hearts were breaking and they embraced, but with the hope of what God had in the bigger picture. I also love that it was between two men. Because so often we think that, you know, emotions and friendship and all that kind of stuff is like kind of a girly thing, right? Or it's between women, you know? But I love how the Bible usually takes like what our norm is and it shows the opposite to show that like, no, like men can have true deep relationships, in friendship and it's a really good thing and that it's possible and sometimes it's harder for men because they're independent and i'm a man and i don't show that i have emotion it's good (laughs) to show emotion it's good to have close i feel like it's all the boys who are the ones who are picking at each other right now i don't even know I also love, and this is what I really love, is that one of the ways that God saved David's life and one of the ways that God made his plan happen was through a friendship. Was through a friendship. When covenant friendships exist, God does big things and he does through this friendships and it's so cool. Now, David is officially a fugitive not to return to the city, and Saul starts to chase him. Not just the men, but Saul starts to chase him. But David is alone. He has no food and no weapons, so he goes to the house of this priest and basically kind of deceives him into telling him, like, the king told me to come. And the priest should have caught on, but he doesn't. (laughs) And ends up getting food, and he also ends up getting a weapon. And not just any weapon. He gets the sword of Goliath as his weapon. Kind of pretty cool how that all comes full circle. I think it's super cool. So then he leaves there, continuing to flee, and he goes to the city of Gath, which happens to be a Philistine city. Who was a Philistine? Goliath was a Philistine. And David is running to a Philistine city for coverage, okay? We don't know why, actually. One of the reasons it could have been because it was close. One of the reasons it could have been because Saul wouldn't look for him there, right? Saul's not going to look in an enemy city for him. Or it could have been because now David and the Philistines had a common enemy, okay? And so, Saul, so for some reason, David went there, and he actually goes to the king's um, house, and they recognize him. And they actually do the same chant. Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. And David hears that, and he's like, oh, shoot, this was a bad idea. They know who I am here. <laughs> They're going to come get me. And so he does something literally crazy, okay? Verse 12 of chapter 21. Yeah, I skipped a bunch. So David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath, right? Because they, they recognized him. So listen to this. He changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands. And he made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard, Like, literally, he's, like, foaming at the mouth, and he starts, like, clawing at the gates, acting like someone who's literally insane. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. (laughs) Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David pretends to be a crazy person, literally, in order to save his own life, and it works. 
I don't know how that came to his brain, like, okay, I'm going to pretend to be insane, and then they're going to let me go. And I actually think it's awesome, because God uses so many weird, different ways to save David's life, right? And so David escaped, and he's running for his life once again. And I'm excited, because next week is one of my favorite stories in the life of David. But the amount of things that we continue to see that God uses, whether it's friendship or David pretending to be insane, the things he uses and does to save David's life, to continue with his plan, is incredible. And the things that we continue to see and hold on to throughout the story is that all the attempts on David's life and what has gotten him to this point, the only reason he is still alive is because of God's involvement. The only reason that he's still alive, the only reason that this plan is continuing is because of what God's doing. And anyone who's tried to go against it has failed. And the same God of the Old Testament is the same God in our life today. And if we are on God's team, he is fighting for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I love that there's just seemingly random things about David pretending he's insane and saving his life because of it. Lord, we thank you uh, for friendship. Um, I thank you for the real and cool and awesome friendships in my life. And I pray that friendship would be something that we would continue to see as a gift from you. And friendship would be something in our lives that we would even evaluate. And who are friends that can really be strong because you are at the center of it. Lord, thank you for the ways that you have worked in the life of David and that we get to learn more about you in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.